Hello, this is Michael Schatz, Editor-in-Chief of the Journal of Allergy and Clinical Immunology in Practice. It is my pleasure to present to you the highlights of our September 2020 issue. The theme of this issue is Diagnostic Methods in Allergy, and we thank editorial board members Corinne Keat and Robert Hamilton for serving as coordinators for this theme. The issue contains an excellent CME clinical management review on emerging food allergy biomarkers, two very instructive CME-eligible clinical commentary reviews on advances in IgE testing and sources, extracts, and molecules of the allergens for diagnosis of allergic disease, and two enlightening reviews on the role of allergen sensitization testing in asthma management and the utility of measuring urinary metabolites of mast cell mediators in systemic mastocytosis and mast cell activation syndrome. In addition to the theme review articles, there are many other very important review and feature articles in this issue. There are seven feature articles on COVID-19, including a very valuable American Academy of Allergy, Asthma, and Immunology workgroup report on COVID-19 and telemedicine, as well as articles on the relationship of COVID-19 to shared decision-making, personal protective equipment, digital health care, asthma, and chronic rhinosinusitis with nasal polyps. The issue also contains another American Academy of Allergy, Asthma, and Immunology workgroup report on perspectives in diagnosis and management of exercise-induced bronchoconstriction in athletes, and two clinical commentary reviews on the topics of the usage patterns of short-acting beta-2 agonists and inhaled corticosteroids in asthma and eosinophils in COPD. Now let's explore the original articles in this issue, which are on the subjects of COVID-19, allergic bronchopulmonary aspergillosis, asthma, drug allergy, eosinophilic disorders, food allergy, immunodeficiency, and mast cell disorders. Here are the highlights of the 20 original articles in the September 2020 issue. The first article is Prompt Predicting of Early Clinical Deterioration of Moderate to Severe COVID-19 Patients Usefulness of a Combined Score Using IL-6 in a Preliminary Study by Voltaggio et al. What is already known about this topic? Several clinical and laboratory factors have been reported to be associated with disease severity and death in patients with COVID-19. The time between hospital admission and clinical deterioration may be very short. What does this article add to our knowledge? We showed that elevated serum IL-6 levels at admission correlate with clinical worsening in COVID-19. We identified a three-variable score, IL-6, CRP, and oxygen saturation fraction of inspired oxygen ratio that is able to predict further clinical deterioration of patients with moderate to severe COVID-19 early in the course of admission. How does this study impact current management guidelines? IL-6, CRP, and oxygen saturation fraction of inspired oxygen ratio 
combined in our proposed score could help clinicians to identify on admission those patients with COVID-19 who are at risk for a further three-day clinical deterioration. The next article is Persistent Viral Presence Determines the Clinical Course of the Disease in COVID-19 by Chang et al. What is already known about this topic? Coronavirus Disease 2019 has emerged as a major pandemic. The disease manifests from mild to severe infections. Various risk factors such as advanced age and comorbidities have been identified. However, precise factors contributing to the disease severity remain unknown. What does this article add to our knowledge? Viral clearance is a major determinant of disease pathology. Prolonged viral presence was associated with increased disease severity markers, including admission to intensive care units and greater lung involvement of chest imaging. How does this study impact current management guidelines? In the absence of antiviral therapies, anti-inflammatory therapies or other therapies that may delay viral clearance should be used with caution. The next article is Impact of COVID-19 on Pediatric Asthma, Practice Adjustments and Disease Burden by Papadopoulos et al. What is already known about this topic? Coronavirus disease 2019 has a mild disease course in children and adolescents. Chronic respiratory conditions, including asthma, have been suggested as risk factors. However, Asthma in children is highly variable in both triggers and severity. What does this article add to our knowledge? During the pandemic, pediatric asthma services limited consultations and established virtual clinics. However, respondents perceived their patient's asthma control to be retained or even improved, while treatment adherence was considered increased. Children with asthma were not disproportionately affected by coronavirus disease 2019. How does this study impact current management guidelines? Trigger avoidance and treatment adherence can rapidly improve asthma control in children, even under lockdown pressure. Children and adolescents with asthma do not appear to need additional prophylactic measures from coronavirus disease 2019 when asthma is well treated. The next article is SARS-CoV-2 pneumonia in hospitalized asthmatic patients did not induce severe exacerbation by Granbastian et al. What is already known about this topic? Patients with asthma are rare in epidemiological studies of severe acute respiratory syndrome coronavirus 2 pneumonia. What does this article add to our knowledge? Being asthmatic is not a risk factor for severe acute respiratory syndrome coronavirus 2. How does this study impact current management guidelines? Severe acute respiratory syndrome coronavirus 2 pneumonia may not induce severe asthma exacerbation. The next article is Treating Allergic Bronchopulmonary Aspergillosis with Short-Term Prednisone and Itraconazole in Cystic Fibrosis by Goethe et al. What is already known about this topic? Allergic Bronchopulmonary Aspergillosis 
contributes significantly to cystic fibrosis lung disease. The optimal treatment strategy, however, is yet to be defined. What does this article add to our knowledge? The combination of short-term prednisone and long-term itraconazole treatment is effective in preventing allergic bronchopulmonary aspergillosis induced lung function decline without detrimental glucocorticoid side effects in patients with cystic fibrosis. How does this study impact current management guidelines? The proposed regimen offers a new approach to treat cystic fibrosis-related allergic bronchopulmonary aspergillosis, reducing both lung function deterioration and glucocorticoid-induced adverse effects. It might therefore help optimizing current treatment guidelines. The next article is Heterogeneity of Mild to Moderate Persistent Asthma in Children, Confirmation by Latent Class Analysis and Association with One-Year Outcomes by Fitzpatrick et al. What is already known about this topic? In contrast to children with difficult-to-treat or severe asthma, phenotypic characterization of children with mild to moderate persistent asthma is still limited, and it remains unclear which of these children are at the highest risk for poor outcomes. What does this article add to our knowledge? Five latent classes were identified. At one year, lung function deficits and exacerbations were the greatest in the latent class with multiple sensitization and partially reversible airflow limitation despite intervention with asthma controller therapy. How does this study impact current management guidelines? Latent class analysis is useful for identifying risk factors in children with mild to moderate asthma. Children with multiple sensitization and partially reversible airflow limitation are a particularly vulnerable group that may warrant more aggressive treatment. The next article is Prospective Single-Arm Longitudinal Study of Biomarkers in Real-World Patients with Severe Asthma by Buell et al. What is already known about this topic? Serum periostin, blood eosinophil count, serum IgE, and fractional exhaled nitric oxide, pheno, are biomarkers associated with type 2 inflammation phenotypes of severe asthma that may identify patients at risk of asthma exacerbations. What does this article add to our knowledge? The primary analysis found no clinically meaningful differences in the exacerbation rates between patients with high versus low periostin levels. Post hoc analyses suggested that high blood eosinophils, high pheno, or both might predict asthma exacerbations. How does this study impact current management guidelines? The results demonstrated that the clinical utility of periostin as an asthma biomarker is unclear. However, high blood eosinophils or high pheno may identify patients at risk of an exacerbation. As a secondary objective, the study found that central and local measurements of type 2 biomarker levels were generally in agreement. The next article is Health Services Utilization is Increased in Poor Perceivers of Bronchoconstriction and Hyperinflation in Asthma by O'Loughlin et al. What is already known about this topic? 
Patients with asthma who have impaired perception of external resistive loads are at higher risk of increased health services utilization. Whether individuals with poor perception of the intrinsic mechanical loads that result from bronchoconstriction and dynamic hyperinflation are also at increased risk of asthma-related morbidity and mortality is uncertain. What does this article add to our knowledge? Ours is a novel study using experimental bronchoprovocation data to stratify subjects into categories of poor, normal, and overperception of mild, moderate, and severe bronchoconstriction and dynamic hyperinflation. We then linked these data to objective information on health services utilization using Ontario's administrative health databases. Our findings suggest that individuals with asthma who are poor perceivers of bronchoconstriction and particularly dynamic hyperinflation have higher rates of emergency department visits and hospitalizations. How does this study impact current management guidelines? Identifying patients with asthma who have abnormal symptom perception may be clinically useful. These patients may benefit from regular monitoring of more objective measures of lung function, that is, peak flows and spirometry. The next article is Teotropium Respimat Efficacy and Safety in Asthma, Relationship to Age, by Doherty et al. What is already known about this topic? There is a perception that there is a differential response to bronchodilators in older compared with younger patients with asthma, yet this perception is based on limited data. What does this article add to our knowledge? The current analyses demonstrate that the bronchodilator efficacy and safety of teotropium respimat is not impacted by age in patients with symptomatic, moderate, or severe asthma. How does this impact current management guidelines? These results have important therapeutic implications because there is an increase in the aging population worldwide as well as increased prevalence of asthma in older individuals. The next article is the Association of Early Life Viral Respiratory Illness and Atopy on Asthma in Children, Systematic Review and Meta-Analysis by Wadwa et al. What is already known about this topic? Early life viral respiratory illness is commonly associated with wheezing. What does this article add to our knowledge? There is a difference between atopic and non-atopic children in the association between viral respiratory illness and risk for subsequent asthma or wheeze. However, available evidence is not conclusive. Further studies that consider early life atopy with human rhinovirus infection are warranted. How does this study impact current management guidelines? The study results recommend further research into the identification of patterns of allergic sensitization that, in association with early life viral illness, pose the greatest risk for developing asthma. The next article is Treatment Benefit with Omalizumab in Children by Indicators of Asthma Severity by Zeffler et al. What is already known about this topic? Greater severity in childhood asthma negatively impacts physical and social functioning and quality of life. 
omalizumab is effective in children aged six years or older with moderate to severe persistent asthma. What does this article add to our knowledge? This post hoc analysis of three randomized controlled trials is the first to demonstrate using multiple markers of asthma severity that exacerbation reduction with omalizumab is greater in pediatric patients with more severe asthma. How does this study impact current management guidelines? Consistent treatment benefits were observed among children with moderate to severe persistent asthma. Improvements were greater in children with more severe subtypes. These findings support the use of omalizumab in these subpopulations. The next article is serum eosinophil-derived neurotoxin better reflect asthma control status than blood eosinophil counts by Anne et al. What is already known about this topic? Although several biomarkers have been proposed for eosinophilic asthma, there are few reliable biomarkers that reflect asthma control status. Eosinophil-derived neurotoxin, a degranulated eosinophil protein of eosinophil, is an emerging biomarker in asthmatic patients. What does this article add to our knowledge? Serum eosinophil-derived neurotoxin is a promising biomarker that differentiates between patients with controlled and uncontrolled asthmatic status. Furthermore, serum eosinophil-derived neurotoxin might be a better biomarker for indicating control status than total eosinophil count in adult asthmatics. How does this study impact current management guidelines? With the development of new biologics, serum eosinophil-derived neurotoxin may be a useful biomarker for monitoring uncontrolled disease status in asthmatics who are being administered eosinophil-targeted biologics. The next article is Comorbid Obesity and Depressive Symptoms in Childhood Asthma, a Harmful Synergy by Shu et al. What is already known about this topic? Depression and obesity are known to be associated with increased asthma severity and decreased asthma control in children. Various mechanisms to explain this morbidity have been proposed, but a systematic investigation of potential pathways is needed. What does this article add to our knowledge? Among overweight or obese children with asthma, greater depressive symptoms are associated with compromised lung function. We present evidence that increased vagal-slash-cholinergic reactivity may be a mechanism underlying this association. How does this study impact current management guidelines? Comorbid obesity and depression should be identified by clinicians for children with asthma. Treatment of these risk factors and or anticholinergic inhaled medication as adjunct therapy may offer benefit in children with asthma, obesity, and depression. The next article is Standardized Impulse Oscillometry Reference Values Define Peripheral Airway Impairment Associated Uncontrolled Asthma Risk Across Ethnicity in Children by Gallant et al. What is already known about this topic? Peripheral airway impairment has frequently been defined by optimal impulse oscillometry cutoff points 
determined by best fit analysis for sensitivity and specificity for clinical outcomes, which can vary by population and specific outcome. What does this article add to our knowledge? We have shown that peripheral airway impairment, defined by standardized impulse oscillometry reference values based on 95% of the normal population, is a consistent available marker of uncontrolled asthma risk in Hispanic and white children. How does this study impact current management guidelines? Available standardized impulse oscillometry reference values provide the clinician with a consistent tool to identify the risk of peripheral airway impairment outcomes in children with asthma, which may apply across ethnicity. The next article is Clinical Characterization and Diagnostic Approaches for Patients Reporting Hypersensitivity Reactions to Quinolones by Donia et al. What is already known about this topic? Quinolones can induce hypersensitivity through several mechanisms, being the third most common drug associated with hypersensitivity and the second most frequent drug inducing both IgE-mediated hypersensitivity and severe anaphylaxis. The optimal diagnostic approach remains a controversial topic. What does this article add to our knowledge? The risk of having quinolone hypersensitivity is higher for immediate reactions, particularly for moxifloxacin-induced anaphylaxis. The basophil activation test has a higher sensitivity than skin test. Drug provocation tests can be useful to identify safe alternative quinolones. How does this study impact current management guidelines? We propose an algorithm for diagnosing quinolone-induced reactions, which should be classified according to the interval between drug intake and reaction onset using a six-hour threshold. The algorithm includes skin, basophil activation, and drug provocation tests as necessary. The next article is single-organ and multi-system hypereosinophilic syndrome patients with gastrointestinal manifestations share common characteristics by Kwong et al. What is already known about this topic? Very little is currently known about the differences between patients with eosinophilic gastrointestinal disease, EGID, and hypereosinophilia, HES, EGID overlap, and those with EGID in the setting of multi-system HES. What does this article add to our knowledge? Patients with EGID and HES share common characteristics irrespective of single or multi-system involvement. Patients with multi-system HES may present with isolated gastrointestinal involvement before development of other organ involvement. How does this study impact current management guidelines? There are no current standardized diagnostic, prognostic, or treatment guidelines for patients with HES and gastrointestinal involvement other than expert opinion. This article adds to the collective knowledge of this rare patient population. The next article is Community Private Practice Clinical Experience with Peanut Oral Immunotherapy by Afino Genova et al. What is already known about this topic? Food allergies, including peanut allergy, are increasing in the United States, 
and peanut oral immunotherapy has been used in several centers as an effective treatment. What does this article add to our knowledge? The safety of peanut oral immunotherapy has been debated. This article examines the rates of adverse events in patients on peanut oral immunotherapy and proposes patient and immunologic factors that may be associated with adverse reactions. How does this study impact current management guidelines? This study aims to provide clinicians with data from private practice clinical experience using peanut oral immunotherapy to help anticipate and prepare for possible adverse events and develop strategies for more individualized treatments. The next article is Prevalence of Food Sensitization and Food Allergy in Children Across Europe by Lyons et al. What is already known about this topic? For adults, standardized data collection all across Europe has yielded prevalence estimates of food sensitization and of food allergy defined as symptoms plus IgE sensitization that can be validly compared internationally. For children, such estimates are lacking. What does this article add to our knowledge? Using methodology identical to that in adults, prevalence estimates of food sensitization and food allergy, respectively ranging from 11% to 28.7% and from 1% to 5.6%, were found in school-aged children across Europe. Both primary and cross-reactive food sensitization and food allergy occurred frequently at this age. How does this study impact current management guidelines? This study reveals the substantial geographical variation in the prevalence of food sensitization and food allergy in school-aged children across Europe provides prevalence estimates for 24 commonly implicated foods in multiple countries, and facilitates valuable comparison with adults. The next article is Clinical, Immunological, and Genetic Features in Patients with Immune Dysregulation, Polyendocrinopathy, Enteropathy, X-Linked, IPEX, and IPEX-like Syndrome by Jamie et al. What is already known about this topic? Immune dysregulation, polyendocrinopathy, enteropathy, X-linked, IPEX, and IPEX-like syndromes are rare inborn errors of immunity with similar immune dysregulation phenomena and different monogenic defects. These two groups of disorders have not yet been comprehensively compared. What does this article add to our knowledge? IPEX syndrome is characterized by more frequent endocrinopathies, earlier development of autoimmunities, and also higher serum levels of IgE and autoantibodies. Whereas in patients with IPEX-like syndrome, respiratory tract infections, bronchiectasis, and organomegaly are more common. How does this study impact current management guidelines? IPEX should be considered in male patients with enteropathy, dermatitis, autoimmunity, endocrinopathy, eosinophilia, and elevated serum IgE, and if the FOXP3 was intact, IPEX-like syndromes are probable. Hematopoietic stem cell transplantation in IPEX may result in favorable outcomes. 
The last article is Microarray-Based Detection of Allergen-Reactive IgE in Patients with Mastocytosis by Smilj Kovic et al. What is already known about this topic? Patients with mastocytosis are at high risk to develop fatal anaphylaxis. Therefore, early detection of IgE sensitization is of particular importance in these patients. What does this article add to our knowledge? A broad screen by allergen chip profiling was found to identify multiple potentially clinically relevant IgE species in patients with mastocytosis in a single test. How does this study impact current management guidelines? Allergen chip profiling represents a useful tool to screen for allergen-specific IgE species in patients with mastocytosis and may thus help in early detection of life-threatening IgE sensitivities in high-risk patients. Thank you for listening to the highlights of the September 2020 issue of the Journal of Allergy and Clinical Immunology in Practice. I hope you find this issue beneficial for you and your patients.